This is Todd from the Junkyard Outreach. Welcome and thanks for joining me. For more information and episodes, check out junkyardoutreach.com. Forgiveness, part one, being forgiven. Within every human being, there lies a conscience. And that conscience, when clear, allows us to enjoy and pursue life in a manner that brings us closer to God. And with a clear conscience, we can worship God, pray, do the work of the ministry with joy and be a blessing to others. But if our conscience condemns us because of the things that we've done in the past that make us feel unworthy, dirty, bad, creepy, etc., then trying to enjoy life in Christ is impossible. We need a clear conscience, which starts with being forgiven by God for our sins. David was a great king of Israel, and part of his greatness was the way he handled his failures. And he had some pretty major failures. But David knew the Lord, and despite being called by God, a man after his own heart in 1 Samuel 13, 14, David really screwed up a few times. So hopefully we can identify with David's own failures and see how he dealt with them to get a better understanding of forgiveness. In Psalm 32, 1, David writes, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So David had committed adultery then killed the woman's husband when the woman found out she was pregnant. And David married her, trying to cover up his blunder, but God nailed him. And David had to admit his evil in the presence of a holy God. Continuing in Psalm 32, verse 3, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away, through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the summer heat, Selah. Selah carries the idea of, you know, think about this, meditate on this. I acknowledge my sin to you. And I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin, Selah. When we're guilty of something and it gnaws at us night and day, I believe this is our conscience doing what it's supposed to do, telling us to fix our issues. Don't let this thing go unchecked. Work through it. Find resolution. When we acknowledge our issues and make them right, that guilt subsides and our conscience is again clear where it should be. David describes his bones as wasted away through his continual groaning, and that's what sin does to us. It tortures us with agonizing guilt, and that guilt stays with us until we resolve it. And God's forgiveness is the beginning of the solution. When David's sin of adultery and murder were revealed by the prophet Nathan, whom God had sent to David for the purpose of exposing David's sin, David had nowhere to go but on his face before God. He knew that's where he needed to go, too. He deserved the death penalty twice, once for adultery and once for murder, according to the law of Moses, as did the woman he had committed adultery with. She deserved the death penalty too, but God's mercy was upon David and her. And ultimately, David was forgiven of his sin before God. And he writes about this again in Psalm 51. It says in verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, so that I may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. So David understood his need for forgiveness. He couldn't justify his actions, and really all he could do was cry out for mercy, and he did. And when it says my sin is ever before me, it reminds me of the wickedness in my life that I can't seem to forget. And I've confessed it, and I've been forgiven of it, but I can't forget it. And really, when we think about how stupid we have been in the past and the sins that God had to forgive in our lives, it's a good reminder 
of what we are without Jesus. If my sins were not forgiven, I'd still be haunted by them because they haven't been dealt with. My conscience would still be killing me. But now, even though these things still pop up in my mind, they've been paid for by Jesus. I'm no longer guilty of them before God, so I can rest with a clear conscience again. And there's a process with sin. I mean, we have to make it right. There may be involved in the process confessing it to somebody else and all that. I get it. And hopefully you get that too. Just because you confess your sin doesn't mean the person that you've wronged is like, okay, well, you confess your sin to God. It's all good. Each circumstance has a different path. But the first one is take it to the Lord. Be forgiven. David also wrote in Psalm 25, 7, Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. In the church, we use this phrase frequently, I've been delivered. It has the idea of being in bondage and set free, and it's a common teaching in Bible teaching churches. Not so much in the watered-down churches, because to be set free, we must first understand how enslaved we are to sin. And that message is not popular with people who enjoy their sinful life. But when they get busted or consequences for their sin come crashing down on their head, they realize how bad off they really are and how they need to be forgiven. Until then, they live in rebellion towards God while quietly sitting in their congregation thinking all is well. And to them, God would say in Isaiah one eighteen, Come now, let's reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat of the good land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. There's a command to obedience and a reward to those who choose to obey. You shall eat of the good land. Also a warning for those who refuse, you shall be eaten by the sword. Obedience ushers in forgiveness and in turn creates goodness in our lives. Disobedience brings about bad things in our lives and has negative consequences. Psalm 103.8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. There's an old worship song titled, The Lord is Gracious and Compassionate that was inspired by this psalm. It's really good. Great music, guitar, saxophone, vocals. One of my favorites. And when I listen to worship music and recite the praise and worship lyrics, it really lifts up my soul. And although it's only music, filling my mind with the praise and worship to God helps me in my effort to keep my conscience clear, understanding that when I obey the Lord, I enter into this relationship that has so many blessings for my life that I don't deserve. And the closer I get to Jesus, the more I experience his love, mercy, grace, and forgiveness. And being mindful of my absolute need for forgiveness continually keeps me in that place where I'm calling upon him. Psalm 86, 4. Gladden the soul of your servant. For to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Isaiah 55, 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. I've met so many people in my life who, after a short discussion with them, they reveal enough about themselves to put some pieces of their puzzle together. Why is their life a wreck? Well, look at the way that they talk to people, or about people. Look at the way they spend their money on themselves while neglecting their family. Listen to the language that they use. You kind of figure it out pretty quick. They're a mess and undoubtedly not walking with God. Therefore, all their sin remains 
and is building up like a bucket under a leaky faucet. And pretty soon that bucket will be full and the sin will begin to overflow. And that's bad. I had an older friend who's now dead who was a very smart person. He was the type that if there was a problem, he would spend countless hours researching the problem and come up with his own solutions, which oftentimes worked. He was a very educated, dignified type and always in control. He was the calm, collective controller, but a decent guy. And we had a conversation one day about stress, and he told me that he ended up in the hospital for symptoms of a heart attack. And when all was said and done, the doctor told him that he didn't have a heart attack, but he had a panic attack which made me laugh because I could not imagine this guy panicking over anything. It was completely opposite of his character. And as usual, he did his own research and discovered that stress is like that leaky faucet dropping water little by little into a bucket. We don't notice it because typically we can work off the stress and sort of empties the bucket. But when we don't work off the stress and it accumulates in the bucket, it can overflow. And when it overflows, it can happen suddenly without warning and it pours out and overwhelms a person's mind and creates a panic attack. And that made sense, but whether or not it's true, I don't know. But comparing that to sin overflowing in our lives, I found it consistent with that principle. If I'm overwhelmed by my sin, it creates a huge mess in my life. But God's forgiveness in our sinful lives empties that bucket. And as we fill it up again, which we do, we must continually come to Jesus and seeking forgiveness and dump that bucket. Then we can enjoy the rest that comes with knowing Jesus. Hebrews 4, 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So the beginning of a successful, victorious walk with Jesus involves us coming to him, seeking forgiveness of our own sin, and that sets us on that solid foundation in Christ. Thank you.